we're looking for some Futura in the land of Ithaca, and we're taking Brian and Charles to ponder some love and thunder. I'm Van Connor. I'm Zara Phelan, and this is your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Welcome to Off Screen, another week, another round of cinematic goodies before us. And and, and welcome back, Miss Phelan, for an unexpected fourth bonus week in a row. So uh, welcome back. Bex is, is, is unavailable uh, for another week, having returned from the US. Uh, so thank you for filling in the void for us. And the best part is you stick around for another Marvel week, which those are always the good ones. Yeah, I love a good Marvel film. <laughs> Thanks to you. <laughs> it is just kind of my doing. And also, let's just take a moment because last week we we talked in the in the freeview, not the freeview section, in the sort of streaming and home end section about a movie called The Princess, starring yeah. Joey King. It was one of two movies out last week called The Princess, and they were both, it turned out, pretty good. You and I got the rare chance to hang out this last weekend and actually watched the the Joey King version of The Princess with Dominic Cooper on Disney Plus. And you know what? Decent little action movie. Just let down by some really ropey CGI, but pretty good. She was she was up for a good time in it. She was kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, she was uh, definitely um, a badass when it comes to the action sequences. It's like, go on, go. Like, definitely, yeah, definitely subverted that old damsel in distress routine. But let's let's talk then about uh, something uh, something very different. Then this is one we've both seen. This is kicking up our new releases for this week. Let's talk about Ithaca uh, first of all this week, which uh, I, I I assumed was about Ithaca in in like you know upstate New York. Uh, no, it's 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 actually about Julian Assange's dad, John Shipman, who's one of those people. When you see you see a picture of me, like yeah, of course that's. Julian Assange's dad. That is exactly how I imagine Julian Assange's dad to look, which is Julian Assange, but just three decades older. Same guy. Literally sounds and behaves like the same guy, which is a nice way of opening this by saying, this is not a documentary about a likable person. Let's, <laughs> let, let's get that out of the way. And, and he's very upfront about that. He, he's it's, it's his story. This is the story of him trying to intervene on behalf of and secure the freedom of his son to prevent Julian Assange's extradition to the US. All of which is a bit murky as a film property given the in the time between them putting you know the, the final export out of this and it into cinemas certain real world events have kind of curtailed the end of this movie namely the boris johnson's government <laughs> sorry we're, we're recording this we're recording this an hour after he resigned <laughs> right a couple of weeks ago our soon-to-be xpm's administration rubber stamped the extradition of Julian Assange. So however this documentary ends, and we're not going to tell you how it ends, that ending is subject to change and may still be subject to further change. So it is the struggle of Julian Assange's father and lawyer slash partner to secure his release. We've got a little simple sample for you. How does it feel to be the father of such a controversial figure, somebody who's known around the world? Was that him on the phone before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are you talking about on a, 
If Julian is extradited to the United States to face these charges, he will be the first, but not the last. What are your worst fears? That it just collapses under the strain. It looks as though what journalists do for a living is seen to be a criminal act. Shit to keep it up, man. Thank you. I wish I had your energy, I really do. I'm done, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. So Ithaca out today. You saw this. I mean, where do you stand on on Assange? Do you are you, are you a, a, a supporter of Assange? Are you someone that believes in the cause there? Or? I I'm I'm I don't really pay much attention to be honest. It's like with all these political things, it's like yeah, no one's going to hear you anyway. What's the point? But I actually did for this documentary. I I hmm. considering it was supposed to be about Julian Assange, and you know it it seemed too much focused on the father. And yep. him not actually yep. wanting to talk about his son? That was it, wasn't it? You've, you've got a subject who, if you want to make this, uh, it, it can't be about Julian Assange. Obviously, the documentary is not about Julian Assange. It's about the father. The problem is, he's not particularly willing to be the documentary subject. However, the lawyer slash Assange's partner does seem to be up for that, but he's constantly denied. So every time we start to get under the surface of her, it's, we sort of get clawed away from us. And it goes back to being about John Shipman. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. Why do you keep taking us back to the only person who doesn't want to be here? Um, having said that, I did think it was quite fascinating, uh, quite a fascinating story. I think it drops the ball as regards the depth it wants to go into, though. And like we say about its focus, um, that also applies to things like freedom of the press and things like that. And then you get to John Shipman again, who seems to want to talk about freedom of the press, but only up to a point. Whenever yeah. it gets to the, whenever it gets to the extent that he actually has to have a position to stand on, his position then gets retracted, and it comes back to, "But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm only here for my son." And you're like, "Oh, okay. Tell us about your son. I don't want to talk about my son. I don't like my son." And so why are you? Contradictory character, isn't he? He, he is a very contradictory guy, yeah. He's a riddle wrapped inside an enigma, packaged inside a conundrum, stitched together with the bubble wrap of, omnis, uh, of, of om, om, ominousness. Sorry, is the word I was looking for. Um, it, it, it's, it, it would be interesting to see um, a, a documentary about Shipman and how his relationship with his son has defined his son's personality and what he does for a living, because you very clearly get the extent that the apple has not fallen far from the tree with Assange. Well, the, the filmmakers, you notice a certain bits on this documentary, they asked those questions about where his where he was when he was a child. Oh, I'm not going to talk about that. Again, and you think, what what was the point of any of this? You are dangling all of this potential in front of us, but you're not quite delivering. It's a fascinating story because Assange always is. Whether or not this, I mean, and and to be fair, this is new. This is new ground to to cover with the Assange story. I had not seen this particular angle of it taken on as yet. One questions whether or not it was worth or whether it needed to be yeah. taken on. But you know what? I'm I'm I, I prefer that it does exist rather than it didn't. And I found John Shipman all sorts of entertaining in his own right, maybe not as intended enough so that I think it justified this. But I, I was interested by it. I was never bored by it. I was intrigued no. by it. And it added, it, I think it added to my, my general interest in Assange generally. Yeah. yeah. 
So let's let's talk about something a bit more. Uh, <laughs> this could not be more different if we tried. <laughs> Good lord. Okay. Right. Where to even begin with Brian and Charles? Okay. So Brian and Charles, which is in cinemas uh, from today, and has been screening for a little while. I think this may have was this an LFF one ages ago. It feels like an LFF one that may have cycled wow. back around. Um, it's uh, directed by Jim Archer. It's based on a short. Um, of I think of the same name, and literally it's, it's a short adapted and expanded to a, to a full film. Um, what you've got is a sort of a, a farmer, a loner weirdo farmer named Brian, played by David Earl, and he's just he's that kook that lives in every small village. You know the one. He he he, he might be sixty, he might be twenty five. You don't know. He always wears the same scruffy cardigan. You know that strange guy. He's that strange guy, okay? And he has uh, a sort of burgeoning would be will, will they won't they love 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 dynamic with a young girl in the local uh, named Hazel in the local town as well. And uh, this this is something that comes it come, becomes more of a prominent fixture in his life when he builds a robot for himself out of a washing machine, a severed mannequin head, an old cardigan, some clothes, a couple of brooms, just just to give you an idea. So think Taika Waititi. When you start this, think Taika Waititi, Jermaine Clement, because tonally that's where this goes. He builds the robot whom he names Charles. Charles, oh God, what's his prosaic? Something like that. He's got a surname. I am Charles. He has a whole performance around it. And it is about the relationship that develops between this unlikely Frankenstein and creation. And of course, what happens when the local town people discover said creation. They're just boiling cabbages and chilling out. Oh, Can I have some now, please? No, 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 no. You wait for dindons. <laughs> so impatient. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you dancing? Are you dancing for me? <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. Oh, look at those hips. Look at those hips. Watch me go. <laughs> so, Brian and Charles, you, you didn't get the, the chance to see this one. Is this the one you missed uh, this week? Yeah, I didn't get to see this one, but it does sound quite fascinating. I must say, when you first started describing it, I was like, don't tell me he made that robot for um, naughty means. <laughs> Uh, no, funnily enough, I, right, right. First of all, it's it's a really lovely film. It, it's genuinely lovely. It took me back to um, Taika Waititi around that point of what we do in the shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People, and something like Hunt for the Wilder People, you can you can draw a lot of kinship with because it is that woodland setting, that rural environment, and that tonal sensibility. And this this works. Like this goes down, gangbusters. Um, I, I, I literally, I've got here in my, I've not even done the 15 second uh, script yet for this. Um, and I've literally got, what do you get if you combine Pinocchio, X Machina, and Emmerdale? And the answer is a damn fine, charming movie. Um, it's anchored by really, really great comedic performances that know absolutely the, the fine balance between tugging on your heartstrings and just tickling you under the ribs and it, it flip-flops between those two positions with absolute gusto um absolutely won over won over by a tight and tidy 90 minutes um it's it's quite a dialogue driven you know rural set conversational kind of a film so for those that's probably about the right amount of time for it 
I would say. Yeah. Does have a car chase. You probably wouldn't expect that from the poster. You do get a car chase, and it's a pretty entertaining car chase as well. Um, I, yeah, I, I really dug this. Uh, say, so Brian and Charles, out there, I don't want to tell you too much about it because a lot comes from just how odd and weird and random it is. But I will say, if you're looking, if you're a fan of uh, uh, like the Concords, for instance, uh, Eagle versus Shark, Taika Waititi, Jermaine Clement type stuff, Reese Darby, I watched all of uh, Our Flag Means Death on the flight over to the US yesterday. And oh my God, I love that. Um, this is very much in keeping with all of that if you are a fan of that kind of comedy that dramedy that quirky off-kilter dramedy Brian and Charles in cinemas from today directed by Jim Archer starring David Earl Charles Haywood and uh, Louise Brearley uh, cannot recommend it highly enough so so good five massive stars from me and I want a washing machine robot as well now And we're back with another round of cinematic offerings for your week off screen. So let's talk then about something, <laughs> I think we're going to say, a lot more down to earth than what's coming to follow. Let's talk about Futura, which is a new documentary about... Actually, let's, let, let's, let's do this, Sarah, because neither you nor I could really like describe what this was about with any kind of conventional accuracy. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's just read the plot from IMDb, shall we? Which is a portrait of Italy observed through the eyes of teenagers who talk about the places they live in and imagine themselves, torn between the opportunities that surround them, the dream of what they want to become, the fear of failing, the trials they hope to overcome. Um, yeah, cool. That's, that sounds about right. Yeah, that, that's cool. Um, all of which is a nice way of saying that this is a 105-minute-long subtitled documentary that's effectively Vox Pops about Italian teenagers being asked about, what do you think of the world now and how do you think it's going to change? That's cool and everything, but like, why am I watching this? Yeah, it was all very much. They were all very delusional. Uh, they basically they didn't feel like they had a future in Italy anymore. I was gonna say delusional, but um, <laughs> but it was just like, oh my god, can I just rip my eyes out now? I can't take this anymore. It's really depressing, and there's no point to it. There's absolutely no point to it. It feels absolutely directionless. It reminds you a lot of that, uh, was it Channel 4 project that they did decades ago where they interviewed a bunch of kids and then decades later they go back and check in on them again. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's it's kind of like the first half of that in that, yeah, it's pointless if you don't have the second. You want to come back in a couple of decades and ask the same kids how that all panned out for them. Did you wind up playing for Inter Milan? No, if you, unless you're going to do that, there's not an awful lot of points to this. Um, three directors on this, uh, which I can imagine is mostly down to the legwork of editing it all. But I, I can't find another... It wasn't particularly inspiring. I didn't find it particularly profound. I, I, I genuinely struggle to grasp what the point of any of this was, but... Yeah, to be fair, I actually did fall asleep halfway through, so I can't actually say I watched the whole thing. <laughs> okay, well, at, at the risk of displaying absolute ignorance, and let's just point out that this is going to be dropping on Mubi this week, which tells you a lot about the audience they're aiming for. At the risk of displaying arrogance to that audience, let's talk about Thor, Love and Thunder, uh, which is out uh, from... Oh, we, bear in mind, we record this on a Thursday, normally. Uh, so when we say today, we are normally talking about Friday, which is the day the yeah. show comes out. In the case of Marvel movies, there's always 
always a day or two early. So this came out yesterday, if you're listening to this on Friday. It's today, the day we're recording. So it's Thursday the 6th today. You and I got to see this. Was this Tuesday night? We saw this? Yeah, uh, Tuesday. I think it was. Okay. Thor, Love and Thunder, which was the forkful nobody saw coming when they were announcing Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe a few years ago, and out of the blue, almost as an aside, just casually dropped. By the way, you all loved that Taika Waititi Thor 3 that we did. Uh, because you loved it so much, we're going to do it again. It's called Love and Thunder, and we're going to finally answer what the hell happened about that whole Natalie Portman thing that we just dropped. So we're going to do that, and we'll adapt two pretty popular comic storylines at the same time. So that's what you've got here. You've got a new Thor movie that follows on from Avengers Endgame, in that you have Dad Bod Thor bombing around the universe with the Guardians of the Galaxy, now deciding, right, I'm going to get in shape, I'm going to get back to my God Bod from Dad Bod to God Bod, as he's now called it. And, uh, you know, he's going to find his purpose and, and, you know, because the Guardians don't necessarily need him. He, he he needs to be where he's needed, you know. Ignoring the fact that that was literally the exact opposite of where he was at at the end of Endgame when he said, it's time for me to stop being who I'm supposed to be and be who I am. So now we've got the movie in which he has to stop being who he is and be who he's supposed to be. <laughs> Okay, um, we'll get back to that. So the idea is that uh, Thor finds himself being targeted by Christian Bale as Go- as Gore the God Butcher, whose name is is pretty apt. His parents knew what they were doing when they named him Gore the God Butcher. <laughs> they had that one down, you know. Not Jeff the God Butcher, Gore the God Butcher. They knew when they were naming their kid, he's going to butcher gods, and that's as it turns out what he's doing. He is basically a man with no faith whose daughter has died. Indifferent gods have shown their indifference to this, and he seizing an opportunity, slayed his gods, and then set off on a crusade to kill them all. So imagine how that bodes when your, uh, your your suffix for your name also happens to be God of Thunder in the case of Thor. In the mix also comes um, his ex-girlfriend, Jane Foster, who you might remember as the astrophysicist played by Natalie Portman in the first two of these, who just kept getting name-checked and casually tossed out every time the character his character would reappear since. She's now got terminal cancer, stage four cancer, as we're told. And there's no treatment. Chemo's going to do nothing. She lost her mum to this. It's a, she's genetically predisposed. She somehow decides randomly that Mjolnir, the hammer that got destroyed years earlier by Kate Blanchett, despite never having this before, might have the ability to give her healing powers it because it now talks to her. her. It It calls to her. It's broken, and the pieces are in a museum in New Asgard, but they're calling to her, and she has to go, and basically the idea is that she now has the the hammer, she becomes the mighty Thor, and whenever she's got the hammer, it's keeping her alive. And do do you know what? Let's let's just let the Waititi madness take it away for us. They're in the Shadow Realm. How do you know? The atmosphere there has a darkness like no other. It's as if color fears to tread. It's unmistakable. Well, then, if it's color we need... Let's bring the rainbow. Bring the rainbow? Is that a catchphrase or something? She's only been a Thor for a minute. I mean, saving lives, she's quite good at, but the rest of it, she needs work. How many catchphrases have there been? A lot. Yep. 
Jump the gun. But hang on, he moves through shadows and he's going to the shadow realm. It seems like that's where he's going to be the most powerful. You're right, we can't just go marching in there. It could be a trap. Are you thinking what I think you're thinking? I'm thinking it. What are we thinking? Thinking what? I'm thinking it too. Omnipotency. So Thor 4, Love and Thunder. Zara, where did you sit on this one? Um, I'm still not 100%, to be honest. It did feel like, I think uh, Taika is trying a bit too hard with this one. Um, he does overdo the humour to a point where it's like it seems quite forced and it mm, doesn't yeah. quite land for me at times. Um, of course, my favourite part was obviously there's a, a, a naked Thor part in there. Where you yes, yes, there the is some, some new Thor, yeah. Yeah, you know me and my perverted mind. Um, <laughs> that, that, that helped. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just seemed a bit, a little bit all over the place as well. I did yeah. feel it a bit messy. Yeah, um, very messy film, very chaotic uh, film yeah. at times. And, and there are people I know who have seen it who have praised it for that. Saying, Actually, I like the chaos. I like the ramshackle. And you're like, yeah, but when we did that with Thor the last time, it went on to become regarded as one of the worst Marvel movies. And that was Thor the Dark World. The only yeah. thing really arguably separating this from Thor the Dark World is Taika Waititi. And to an extent, Christian Bale, who fares a lot better than Christopher Eccleston, uh, for instance. Yes. But you can make a comparison between those two characters as well. You can make the argument that Eccleston was missing one scene and he could have had the similar role to what Bale's got in here. But it, there is a lot of that mess, and it does all seem to be very Tyker-centric. Mm, very Tyker-centric. But I do feel like uh, it's a sequel that seems to double down on what they perceive mistakenly to be the most popular elements of Ragnarok. Yeah. And it does seem yeah, well, people like that about it, people like that about it. Let's do that, but we'll do more of it now. So case in point, very good example, and this was this was spoiled long in advance by film news, etc., is the the play within the film. The fake yes. play that they do. If you remember Ragnarok, there was that whole gag where they did the bit from Dark World with Matt Damon and and Luke Hemsworth as as Chris Hemsworth, and they do that. There's a whole return to that, but there's more of it, and then there's even more of it, and then when you when you think it's long gone, it comes back and they do even more of it. Like, that's the film in a nutshell. There's a lot of that. People liked this, so we'll just do more of this. And yeah. the problem is, it winds up falling closest to Thor The Dark World, in that you just think, why is this not a Disney Plus show if you're just going to change direction every 20 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's very much how I felt as well. It just, it seemed, like I said before, it just seemed to play too much on what we've already seen before. And it, it mm. does kind of get repetitive and quite boring. It's like, yeah, we've been there, done that. Yeah, I'm yeah. Ima saying. Imagine imagine saying that as well. We're saying, been there, done that, repetitive and boring about a franchise with a rainbow bridge, a space viking, and a man of rock. You know what I mean? Which is the best thing about it. We've literally just spoken about Gore the God Butcher. We're like, it's a bit formulaic. Like, yeah, Gore the God Butcher, that happens all the time. Um, I will also say, I mean, stick around for the end credits because one of these is just a bit of stunt casting that got, if you saw like Doctor Strange, you know the kind of thing they go, or, or Eternals did it as well, where you get that bit of stunt casting, you don't know if it's ever going to lead to anything or anything like that, but it brought the roof down on the yeah. building. That got me, when it, that got me very excited. <laughs> and, and also, intriguingly, 
Not a triple A name on a poster star either, which is wow. really impressive. Um, but that does tie in nicely to talking about uh, Russell Crowe very briefly. <laughs> um, oh my God! <laughs> right, Russell Crowe. The dad from my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> yeah, Russell Crowe turns up in this as the slimiest kebab shop owner you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> I, that's the only way I can describe him. It, 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 it's just like, it, it, he's missing a Hawaiian shirt and an apron. That That's yeah. the only thing missing on Russell Crowe's version of Zeus, which is, if you thought his his Robin Hood was, an, was a masterclass in spectacularly misjudged accents, I swear to Beelzebub, who incidentally might be the only figure of mythology who doesn't appear in this, um, <laughs> I swear to Beelzebub, you are not prepared for Russell Crowe's version of a Greek accent. Wow. Um, uh, I, I will just leave that there. I mean, it's, it's special. It is It is very special. It is definitely very special. You, you would order it in a wrap with chips and mayo, is all I could say <laughs> of that accent. Thor, Love and Thunder. Beyond that, I'd say this is a three-star film. It's a one-thumb, you know, it's a, it's a mixed thumbs, three-star kind of film. There's enough in the comedy, I think, to win people over. But it's one of those where I think when people watch it again and those gags aren't there to charm them over as well the second time, I think people are going to see the holes peering through this. Yeah, no, I agree. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It just is. I wouldn't probably see it again when it comes on Disney+, Plus, to be honest. It's, it's love was limp and it's thunder was a bit of a whimper. Welcome back for another round off screen, this time taking you by the couch for all the goodness coming your way on Freeview for the next seven days. And starting tonight on Film 4. In fact, the next three nights are going to be on Film 4 because they put out an absolutely banging weekend on Film 4 this weekend. Starting tonight at 10.45 with one. I was excited for this from the concept alone. Then I heard who was involved in making it. Then I saw the trailer and I just kept getting progressively more and more excited. By the time this movie came out, chomping at the bit, it's Brightburn from, I think, 2018, produced by James Gunn and best described as what if Superman but evil, which, yes, as far as concepts go for a movie, pour that one in me. So the idea is the pod in the pod with the surviving alien warrior, you know, crashes in the, the farm community. He gets taken in by the, the, the would-be Martha and Martha and Jonathan Kent of the, the local small you know farming town. And as he's, you know, reaching the age of puberty when his powers start to kick in, it's round about the point that he decides, you know what, these powers, they can kind of be used for whatever I want them to be used for. And if you push a little kid around often enough, it's gonna end badly. Mom, who am I? You are a gift. White shirt, now red, my blood. Can you sleep when you're on your tippy toes? Creeping around like locomotives think you're so criminal. We believe that you came here for a reason. Ah! And someday, you will burn bright. I'm the best. 
So Elizabeth Banks, and is it David Denham, I think, uh, in, in this as well. Uh, also, Jennifer Holland is in this movie as well as the kids' teacher. Uh, she was James Gunn's partner for a number of years, like turned up in a bunch of his movies. Got a big role in the Peacemaker series recently on the back of uh, the Suicide Squad. So, and I'm happy she's actually getting more work out of that because she is so much fun. Um, but yes, that's uh, Brightburn tonight on Film 4. Did you see Brightburn when it was out, Zara? I did. Well, I didn't. I didn't get a screening for it, but I did eventually see it, and I actually mm. really, really enjoyed it. I, I wasn't going. I wasn't as excited as you was about it, but I was. Oh, but I didn't really enjoy it. I, I liked the whole evil concept to it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, one that I think uh, I think probably a bit more warmly received in a wider basis than Brightburn on Film 4 for Saturday night, 9pm. Uh, the first teaming between Mr. Spielberg and Cruz. It's 2000, I want to say 2002, I think it's 2000, 2002, I think. 2002's Minority Report, based on the novel, but the novella, the novel? I can't remember what it was classed as by Philip K. Dick, because... Philip K. Dick wrote like three actual full-size books and then the rest were like 50 to 100 pages. So I don't know why actually what we call them. Just, just say the Philip K. Dick work. But it's the idea of what happens if the cops can predict the future and you arrest people for crimes before they've committed them. Um, are you actually preventing crimes? How does the free will, self-determination aspect of that work? Is there a place for the so-called pre-crimes division within the framework of due process? It's a question that Tom Cruise's John Anderson doesn't really have an awful lot of time for until he's the one accused of a crime. And all of a sudden, it becomes something of a pressing concern for him because he then has to go on the run in a Spielbergian sci-fi future being chased by Colin Farrell, who I think was a last-minute replacement for Matt Damon, if memory serves, on this film. But very, very cool movie. Have you seen this recently? Have you seen Minority Report recently? I haven't seen it in years. Because <laughs> it's one of those films that if you watch it now, you're like, okay, a lot of this is becoming more believable now. Like the targeted ad, the way when they read the retina displays and they do targeted yeah. ads and things like that. Um, however... One thing that did age it very, very quickly was uh, the weird sequence in which Tom Cruise seems to use touchscreen USB flash drives to move data around his own office, which is kind of strange because we had Bluetooth then. So, yeah, yeah weird <laughs> thing. But the movie's great. The movie's great. Max von Sydow, I mean, always, always epic, always legendary in these things. Uh, and also just... Cruz and Spielberg just make for an unbeatable pairing. They reteam three years after this, of course, for uh, War of the Worlds as well. Um, they're a good, they're a good double. They're a good combo. Uh, moving on to Sunday night, then same time slot, nine PM, same channel, film four. One, I think we both reviewed a bit more recently. Crawl by is this Alexandra Ayer? I think directed this one. This is the crocodile in the flooded basement oh, one yeah. with Kaya Scodelario. <laughs> Good Lord. This was a hell of a concept. I w wish I could have been in the room when they pitched this. <laughs> this was, yeah, if you've got a, uh, uh, any kind of phobia of uh, alligators or crocodiles <laughs> or whatever they are, you don't watch this film. Yeah, this will probably much freak you out. <laughs> Brilliant concept. It is, and it's literally just Kaya Scodelario and her dad, Barry Pepper, uh, in this flooded, uh, is it Florida, flooded Florida basement during a hurricane, you know, as, as, as national disaster rages around them, trying to escape this pair of crocodiles. It's mental. I loved it. Um, another movie that's mental and I love, and I think this should be spoken of. I do genuinely, in complete sincerity, think this movie should be spoken of in the same breath as things like 
The Dirty Dozen, Kelly's Heroes, movies like that. It's Armageddon from 1998 with Michael Bay. I do genuinely think it should be spoken of in these, you know, these great macho ensemble films, typically of the 50s through the 70s, uh, led by Bruce Willis, starring a, a crop that includes the late, great Michael Clark Duncan, uh, Will Patton, Steve Buscemi, Owen Wilson, Ben Affleck. Uh, I'd say murders, I'm, I'm forgetting people. There's probably about 20-odd people I could name who are just on the crew, just who are on his crew, who we don't really talk about or get great lines from. Um, it's a wonderful movie. It's a, it's a great movie that has just, you know, it, it's not gotten worse with time or anything. It's exactly as good now as it was then. It was never a brilliant movie, but it was a perfect popcorn disaster movie. And it's a movie made even better, um, should you get the chance. This is obviously in no way relevant, but we're going to do this instead of a clip. This is on Monday night, 9pm on ITV4. The only way you can improve upon Armageddon is by obtaining a DVD copy of Armageddon, and then playing the commentary track to Armageddon, in which a then very clearly inebriated Ben Affleck, obviously we now know that he had issues in the years following this, and obviously in very recent years, but nearly 30 years ago, it was kind of funny. And about 30 years ago, here's what a very drunken Ben Affleck had to say about working on Armageddon. I asked Michael why it was easier to train oil drillers to become astronauts than it was to train astronauts to become oil drillers and he told me to shut 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 the up so that, that was the end of that talk like eight whole months as if that's not enough time to learn how to drill a hole but in a week we're gonna learn how to be astronauts a oh, one whole week now you know how to fly into space i need my guys why do you need them? They're the best. Everyone's the best. Why are they the best? I don't know. They just are. I'm only the best because I work with the best. Master filmmaker Michael Bay there. That's his finest work. Uh, moving on to Tuesday night. Have you ever seen that comment? Have you ever heard that commentary in, in full zone? No, I haven't. I no, need to. No. Uh, I need it's to. Uh, next time I come around to you, I'll uh, get you to put that on. <laughs> The only thing better is Arnie's one on Total Recall because he literally just narrates the movie in his own version. And it's very obvious that he doesn't remember the movie that well. So I, I, I you see this, this man wants to stop me. So I, I kick him in the balls. <laughs> That's literally what he does in the commentary as you're watching him do these things. It's the most insane thing. All right. <laughs> Tuesday, not really much needed for this one. Talking about Schwarzenegger, 9 p.m. ITV for one of the all-time classics, 1984's The Terminator, starring Arnie, Michael Bean, and of course, the great Linda Hamilton as the world's least convincing 19-year-old. So that's on Tuesday night. Wednesday, the movie that started a franchise that will soon be revived. Thank you. Thank you, Warner Brothers. Final Destination, the first one, is on on Wednesday night, 10 past 11 on Five Star. I do think they should make these every year like Plot. In fact, it should be, we should have a Saw movie every two years, and then the movie in between, it should be a Final Destination movie. So every Halloween, there should be either a Saw movie or a Final Destination movie, because they don't need returning casts, and you can keep them going indefinitely. It doesn't matter. But the first one... Arguably the best, even though everyone's favourite is still the third one. 
the roller coaster one. The first one, though, with Devon Sauer, Ali Larter, Sean Williams, Scott, and Co. is the one that started it all. Began life as a script for an episode of The X Files before then getting rewritten into a feature length film. And you can actually check the film is written and directed by Glenn Morgan and James Wonk, who uh, this was their big debut. They had uh, made their name on the first two seasons of The X Files and were responsible for its biggest and best episodes at that point. You can see why when you get to this absolutely banging teen horror flick but one to end the week on a very very different note and i talked about this recently and i think it was i think i was trying to 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 convey what being a podcast producer was like and i said have you ever seen the movie florence foster jenkins it's like that but most days so florence foster jenkins Once famously written down on the Film Distributor Association screening schedule as Florence Floster Fenkins, uh, stars Meryl Streep and uh, Hugh Grant. She is the wealthy society heiress who's tone deaf and talentless, but she has more money than common sense. And she hires the industry professional to basically train her and make her a singing star based on nothing more than having the money and simply wanting it. Stop there. There's work to be done, but you've never sounded better. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maestro, it is true that a lot of singers my age are on the decline, but I seem to just get better and better. I know, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Well, I am so blessed. There is no one quite like you. Yes, very much a story for our time and one that seems very fitting on the day that uh, Boris Johnson resigns from government. So, Florence Foster Jenkins, uh, ending your week Thursday night on BBC4 at 11.35. It's a very fun, very charming film, Florence Foster, I thought. Yeah, on the surface, it may may not look quite engaging but it's actually yeah it's got a lot of charm and it's it's, it's actually quite funny and just to hear Meryl Streep singing out of key is, is <laughs> awesome <laughs> but that's the thing she's meant to be a legend she was a legend the actual woman was a legendarily terrible yeah. singer um, and, and it's one of those things isn't it? it's like well Meryl Streep must presumably have to try very hard to sing badly also we've seen was it Ricky and the Flash a few yeah. years ago when she was a rocker and she could sing so yeah. we know we know that she's putting this on but alas Florence Floster Fenkins as the FDA once called it uh, Thursday night BBC 4 11.30 Flive Welcome back for One Last Ride, off screen and Miss Phelan. The fun part of our week, I think, is always, what are we going to be, you know, scrolling past on streaming for the next uh, the next week? And of course, it's paid off for us last week with The Princess, obviously, which turned out to be a whale of a time. Apologies for getting you into Supernatural, by the way, as well. That's going to be a lot of your life uh, taken up from now on. Uh, stop yeah, at five. Just stop at season five, honestly. Uh, right, so mm, coming to uh, Prime from today. It's a movie that was among the higher earners 
of 2020, uh, and largely due to a lack of choice. I think in that, I'm sure this wound up being the third or fourth highest grossing film of 2020, despite the fact that you could not move for people lining up to kick this one square in the face when it opened. It's Birds of Prey, the uh, DC Harley Quinn spin-off, effectively, which uh, sees Ewan McGregor as the villain of the piece as Harley Quinn assembles a cadre of ass-kicking femme fatales to join her crusade to take down the Black Mask in a sort of DCEU-adjacent uh, Gotham. Uh, let's, let's have a listen. They're all here for me. Aren't they? No. They're not? No, they're not. Do you know what that means? That means he's not just after the kid anymore. He's after all of us. Sure as hell after me. I just robbed him. You just betrayed him. You just killed his BFF. And you're dumb enough to be building a case against him. So, unless we all want to die very unpleasant deaths and let Roman go finger fishing in the kid's intestinal tract, we're going to have to work together. Margot Robbie doing her uh, increasingly less Brooklyn-y Harley Quinn there because the, the voice has become a bit less panto-y as it's gone on. It's still daft, but it's become a lot less jarring than it used to be because when Margot Robbie started, I don't know if you noticed this, but every time Margot Robbie played an American for her first, like, three or four films, she did the exact same voice. Yeah. Like, The Wolf of Wall Street, when you're like, yeah, that kind of works in Wolf of Wall Street. That's not necessarily going to work when you're doing Barbie love, you know what I mean? But <clears throat> anyway. I'm so, surprised uh, but, it's taken this long to come on Prime, actually. It's strange, isn't it? But eh, maybe, maybe selling too many DVDs. Um, oh, maybe it's HBO Max rights. Maybe selling too many DVDs over the last couple of years. Maybe it's HBO Max rights. They've tried to figure out when they were going to launch Max in the UK. Obviously, it hasn't happened as quickly as they thought. Who would have thought we'd have Paramount Plus before HBO Max, eh? But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on to Saturday. We're getting two on Netflix. And I would have thought, actually, that both of these would have appealed to you. And I'm shocked. There's one of them I've gobsmacked. Has, hasn't made it, isn't on your shelf. And the other one, I'm, I'm shocked that you didn't just see and were disappointed by. So the first one, which would have been the disappointment, would have been Beautiful Creatures from, I think, 2013, which stars uh, Emmy Rossum and Alden Ehrenreich, best known as with the detour, so simple tripping me. Um, Han Solo, our young Han Solo, this was one of his three films. Um, you know, because they, they gave him like three shots. He, did, he didn't get as many as Army Hammer. But uh, his, family, his family weren't as rich as Army Hammer's. Anyways, beside the point. So Alden Ehrenreich is the love interest, and this would be supernaturally tinged on the bayou, witches, wizards, and witchcraft kind of a, a, a YA romance adaptation. Didn't quite become the franchise launcher they were hoping for, and I think it died a death very quickly. I, for some reason, think Rose Byrne is in this. I, I don't know why. Uh, but it arrives on Netflix the same day as, and this is the one, how is this not on your DVD shelf? <laughs> 2005's The Phantom of the Opera, also starring Emmy Rossum, it's worth noting, alongside its lead, and this was meant to be his big break, Gerard Butler. So Gerard Butler starred in a, an adaptation, a musical adaptation of The Phantom of the Opera as The Phantom, directed by Joel Schumacher, and it didn't pan out. <laughs> I've actually, I didn't, I didn't even know that Gerald Butler was in this. I, I've never seen it. No, no one did. No, no, no one saw it. 
<laughs> of course, of course. And no one... hear it. Did he actually sing in it? Or... Oh, yeah, yeah, they all sang in it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it was a proper thing. It got absolutely battered to death when it was shown to critics. And when it was shown to the audience, no one knows because none of the audience ever showed up. So... <laughs> Just for this singing alone, I'm going to have to make sure I watch that this weekend now. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. I, give it a watch. But, you know, here's one that I think is, is worth us all watching, and this comes to Disney Plus today. Um, uh, <laughs> where to even begin with this one? A forgotten film from the year 2006, starring a then peak of her fame, Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan is the young lady of this would-be charming rom-com who crosses paths with a would-be young suitor played by Chris Pine with whom she swaps luck. She, you see, is notoriously bad lucked, and she passes that along to him and inherits his luck. The movie is entitled Just My Luck, and it's on Disney Plus from today. So go and watch that and try and uh, just basically be very, very thankful that Chris Pine's agent got in that, that Captain Kirk job, because <laughs> God damn. Right, also coming to Disney Plus from today, we talked about this on Prime, I think, a few weeks ago. It's the only reason we have the clip to hand in this uh, unorthodox recording where we're scrambling to get clips together. But uh, The Negotiator, one of my favourite thrillers starring Samuel L. Jackson and, for better or worse, Kevin Spacey, arrives on Disney Plus today. The general premise here is Samuel L. Jackson is Chicago's greatest hostage negotiator. And he's then accused of a crime he didn't commit. How do you think he gets to clear his name? By taking hostages and forcing them to call in the second best hostage negotiator played by Kevin Spacey. So it's hostage negotiator versus hostage negotiator with a bunch of hostages in the middle and one of the hostage negotiators needing to solve a mystery. But never mind, because it's all about the funnies, as you can hear here when Samuel L. Jackson decides he's going to use the moment to have some fun with the cops. Never say no to a hostage taker. It's in the manual. Now, are, are you going to tell me no again? No, I'm not. No, uh, wrong answer. Eliminate I no vocabulary, Farley. Never use no, don't, won't, or can't, all right? It eliminates options. The only option that leaves is to shoot someone. Understand? Uh, yes. Yes, yes good. See, yes is good. If you say no again, I'll kill somebody, all right? Now, let's practice. Can I see a priest? I, I, let's not. You, you know what? Can we, can we just, like, talk about this? You wanted to talk? Right? We are talking. Now, can I see a priest? Uh, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> That's good, Farley. Now you're learning. This is bloody brilliant, and I wash it about every six months. <laughs> I think this was insane. I'm sorry. <laughs> it might be. I think it's the first movie directed by F. Gary Gray, who, of course, and after this then does uh, the Italian Job remake, goes on years down the line to be doing Straight Outta Compton, Fast 8. Fast 8? I think it's Fast 8. Uh, things like that. Fast eight or fast seven, one of them was him. And uh, yeah, it's I, I think this is actually a really, really good movie. Um, again, try and block out the Kevin... This is one of those few movies where blocking out Kevin Spacey helps rather than... Eight, uh, you know, help helps rather than hinders. Normally, Kevin Spacey, when he's playing like a slimy-ass bad guy, if you remember the reality of Kevin Spacey, it helps a lot. It, it really does, because you, 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 it's nice to hate him. In a movie like this, uh, it doesn't help. You have to, you're supposed to kind of like him, which is a bit troublesome. But it's a very, very good movie. 
and it's got a great supporting cast. It's full of, oh, that guy, and oh, that guy. Loads of those. Tons, tons of those. You're going to love this there. If you've never seen it, it's from 98. It is a proper banger. It's on D Plus from today. From D Plus from today, yeah. From today. I think it's from today. I didn't change. Sorry? I haven't changed the dates in all this. It's from today. I'm sorry. It is from today. The only thing that's not out today okay. is the last one we're going to talk to. Uh, talk to. Talk about. Um, right. Here's one. Also on Disney Plus from today. Don't know if you saw this when it came out. I watched this to death on VHS because my mum was a big fan. Came out in 1995. It starts Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter and Harry Connick Jr. Doesn't sound like the most natural casting. The movie is called Copycat. Did you ever see this one? No, it doesn't sound familiar. Ah, this was ahead of its time. Oh, my God. If they'd made this in 2010, it would have been the biggest thing on Netflix. Okay, right. Sigourney Weaver is the world's foremost expert on serial killers. She is also then targeted by a serial killer. She survives the attack, but it leaves her agoraphobic and afraid to leave her home. She then, using gadgetry and tech, just basically has the smart home of her dreams, never has to leave. However, years later, when this is when this is her life now, years later, a new serial killer emerges whose technique and MO is to copycat the MO of other famous serial killers. And he does them like in order. So he'll do Gacy, then he'll do Dharma, then he'll do Bundy, and he does them all in sequence. Leading, of course, leading, of course, up to, you can somewhat naturally see a progression there, and the cops have no one to turn to, but the expert on all of these murders, none other than Sigourney. And you know what? It's exactly the kind of, of tight and tidy for the adults, R-rated kind of schlocky thriller that you loved in the mid-90s. This was like the dying embers of that. These were these, yeah. these this was like the death throw of the for the adults thriller in the nineties. But good one, copycat on tonight. Uh, alongside Runaway Jury from two thousand three, this was a sort of rare fleeting one. This starred Gene Hackman, Rachel Weisz. I think John Cusack was in this. No, was he in this one? But this was the John Grisham adaptation where they were trying to hack the jury, if you remember. But this was another, another I'd say vintage John Grisham fair. But it, of course, all leads up to next Wednesday when fans of this brand can finally get their uh, <laughs> finally get their uh, their uh, their jollies on with the Bob's Burgers movie, which comes to streaming where it should have been all along. Why was this put in cinemas and Chippendale Rescue Rangers the same week got dumped onto streaming? And then three weeks later, you're going to do it. Eh, never mind. So Bob's Burgers, in which Bob's Burgers Diner, you know, has a sinkhole open on the street outside it. A body is discovered inside, and the resulting murder investigation threatens to derail Bob and his family's entire home home life and financial infrastructure. It's it's fun. I imagine it'll play better to the fans. Let's have a, let's have, let's have a little listen before we start. What you doing, Gene? I'm making an instrument out of spoons and a napkin holder and dreams and magic. Obviously, Tina. How's the burger, Bob? It's okay. I put an egg on it. Why is Dad making a burger at 8 a.m.? Is he on British time? He's making it to bring to Mr. Dowling at the bank. We have a meeting this morning, and we're going to ask for an extension on a loan payment. Oh, fun. And we really, really need to get that extension. All the restaurant equipment is wrapped up in that loan. So you're giving him a burger? Well, I mean, we can't give him money, Tina. Because we don't have any? Pretty much. How about you play him some of this? 
<laughs> what, to scare him? No, to enchant him. The Bob's Burgers movies, uh, movies, uh, on streaming from Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. Uh, like I say, it's going to have its fans. I didn't like the musical element of it. It just felt really forced. Like, mm. Yeah, I didn't see the film, but I, I remember you seeing it, and then you told me about the musical part, and I was like, what? Mm. It sounds absolutely... <gasps> dreadful <laughs> it's like south park could just about pull it off but this doesn't quite fare as, as as well it's certainly not as sparky with it as south park was when he tried it for its own movie um and this certainly is not a patch on the simpsons movie let's just say that i mean the simpsons movie just just, just for its sustained schwarzenegger gag was better than this but uh, alas that uh, takes us to the end of another fun week of uh, of uh, feature film goodness but next week offers up even more now if everything goes according to plan, you, you of course won't be with us for next week, Sarah. But uh, yeah. we, 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 wel- we welcome your return to save us every time. Um, but next week we'll be talking about a film I know you've seen already, which is the documentary McEnroe, uh, John McEnroe's uh, new, new portraits out, The Grey Man, which uh, stars uh, that Anna chick, Anna D something, and Anna De Legas, De Legas something like that. Uh, uh, that. Ryan Goose guy is in it, and uh, oh yeah, Chris Evans. So that's the Grey Man next week. The Railway Children will be gone. Feet's a bit wet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The Railway Children will be returning, of course, next week, and Javier Bardem in a movie entitled The Good Boss next week. I know nothing beyond. Javier Bardem is in it and it's called The Good Boss and that's enough for me to say well if I didn't have the link you could take my money but uh, I'm looking forward to that give me a bit of Bardem they were screaming this at the Saudi Arabia Film Festival but it was so late at night I didn't get to see it Oh man, that's a shame. Well, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got in the tank for us this time. But again, that's another week. We've had some love. We've had some thunder. We've had a trip to Ithaca. And most importantly, we've met a robot made out of a washing machine. But that's about all we have time for this week. Until the next time, I've been Van Connor. And I've been Zara Phelan. And we'll see you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>